Man, it's beautiful weather out there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a little, a little chilly, but I don't mind it. I think like Friday, was, it was super hot, or Thursday or something. Didn't move here for that. Um, yeah, so we're in a series, Plugged In. This is our last week of our uh, series, Plugged In. Um, and hey, go ahead and take about 17 seconds and greet the people around you. Show them some love. Give them a hug. Get on up. Get loose. Thank you so much. So good. All right, so we've showed love. We've got up and given some hugs and kisses. Are we ready to dive into the Word of God this morning? Who's excited? Yay, we're good. Hey, so today I have an anchor verse, three verses that are going to hold us today, main text. Let's give it up for our first-time guest if we haven't done that yet. Let's show them some love. We welcome you. Thank you for joining us. Um, in a minute, you're going to join me in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for all of your goodness. Um, God, I just pray that you would open up our hearts for the next 40, 45 minutes um, to receive what it is you have to say and uh, allow it to uh, be planted, allow it to take root, allow it to bear fruit in the time to come. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this awesome day. It's in your name. Um, so, hey, I noticed something about myself. I'm going to be a little transparent here this morning. Uh, I know some of you. I don't, I don't know a few of you, but I know most of you. Um, I've noticed that I'm pretty good at uh, completing big-time tasks, um, such as uh, quitting my job, in the middle of April of uh, 2016 and moving in May to a brand new state over 900 miles away from home. Um, I'm pretty good at big things like getting up and taking care of my kid, fixing him breakfast, uh, getting my oldest one ready for school. And uh, I just, I'm a master at the big stuff. Getting in my car, being somewhere on time. Anyone that knows me, you better not say anything because I'm often late, so maybe I'm lying. (laughs) But uh, it's, it's the big things. Um, but I've also noticed that I'm, I'm not that good at the small things. Um, you know, and I guess I consider them small. So we wash clothes, and uh, I've told this story before. My wife will ask me to go ahead and fold the clothes and put them up. And, and uh, those clothes just stay there for a week. They stay there for two weeks sometimes. I'm guilty of it. Um, <laughs> some of the guys can, can relate, um, or, you know, just simply washing the di- dishes or taking out the trash, just the small things, the, the small things are great at the big things, not so good at the small things sometimes. Um, maybe it's for you, maybe it's the other way around, but for me, I, I oftentimes miss those small things that are just so important. Um, what I come to find out is that the small things, if we fail at them uh, often and as, as we continue to adopt and develop these habits of failing at the small things, they actually add up to big-time consequences in our lives. And so, um, and oftentimes we fail at the small things because we're under stress. Um, life is hitting, we're under some sort of pressure, and we just forget to do something 
or um, we just kind of fall into a mode where the small things fall through the crack. We know we have to go to work, but what about that phone call we had to make? We know we have to uh, go to school, but what about that bill that we had to pay? Uh, for example, Thursday, as a matter of fact, um, we, <laughs> we had some um, traffic toll violations because I like to take the intercounty connector sometimes without the, the, the easy pass. Don't judge me. Do not judge me. Uh, I'll get into a prophetic anointing and call out your sin right now. Do not judge me. Don't, don't look in my eyes. I'll figure it out. And so um, it was like five bucks. I had to pay it. My wife put it on my desk on top of my calendar, and it stayed there for a week and a half. And uh, this Thursday, she was at work, and she, she texted me. She said, Josh, did you pay the toll? I said, I want to type yes. <laughs> I'm like, no, because I told her a week ago I would do it. She's, and she texts back, Josh, it's going to be $55 now. They're going to charge an extra 50 bucks. And I said, I didn't even answer. I just went online, and I said... Oh, thank you, God. It's still five bucks. So I paid it. And uh, yes, it's the little things that add up, right? (laughs) And so in this book, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but we're dealing uh, with a group of Jewish Christians. So these aren't Gentile believers. These are Jewish Christians. Um, Jesus has since rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. It's been about say, 30, 31 years. I would say it's around 64 AD. And um, they're, they're doing the, the big things, but seemingly they're, they're failing at the small things. Um, they're coming to church, but throughout the week, they're not praying. They're showing up, but throughout the week, they're not connecting. They're not considering one another. They're not concerned. Um, They're coming to church, but when they come, they're not sitting in to receive from the word because they're so distracted by more important things, I suppose. Um, And so the author has to deal with a few things with this group. Number one is religion. I didn't put the verses in here because it was going to take way too much time, and I actually kind of got to speed up. But number one, they're dealing with the, the temptation of falling back into a religious flow. Uh, religion is ceremonial observances. It's pretty much routines. So I can come to church on Sunday, but it doesn't necessarily mean I'm being transformed by what's going on around me. I can be in an environment where God is, but not, re- not being able to receive what God gives if I'm not stepping into the atmosphere with a heart of faith and with a heart ready to receive what God wants to do in my life. And so they're doing the big things. They're they're showing up. They may put something in the plate for the offering. They may put the tithe in the plate, but it's not necessarily uh, influencing their lives. Why, though? They have a legitimate reason, right? It's the stress of life. Life is hard. Life is tough. It gets that way. There's some areas of our lives that are in order, and there are other areas that are not. The Jewish Christians of this time, whoever the author is, we don't know if it's Paul. I think this guy is way too eloquent. If you look at the book of Hebrews, this guy is a master. I actually think he's somebody that may have uh, mentored or counseled Paul. Me personally, I think it's Barnabas. Uh, If you read the book of Acts, you see where 
Paul had a mentor for, for about 14 years. His name was Barnabas. Before Paul became the greatest evangelist to ever lived, it was Barnabas. Barnabas doesn't get a lot of street cred, but Barnabas was the man way before Paul was the man. And so I think it's Barnabas or Apollo. Some even speculate Timothy. It's really not important. We just know that it came from some great apostle in 64 AD. They're under great stress. What's the stress? The stress is this. The emperor Nero, or Nero, whatever tongue you choose to use, the emperor Nero has a target on the Christian's back. And so a great fire has broken out across Rome, and, and, and there's a sect, a Jewish sect, and, and, and a Roman political sect that has blamed it on this small group of people who seemingly starting to grow, and it's unstoppable. And the emperor doesn't like it. And so he starts to blame Christians for the great fire, not spiritual fire, like literal fire burnt down about 75% of Rome. He blames Christians for it. And so now what are they doing? And uh, 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 Saul of Tarsus was a part of this group before he became Paul, but now Paul is saved and he's all good. Um, um, They're starting to arrest Christians, take them into prisons, torture them, beat them, hang them on crosses, burn them at the stake, take them to the Roman Colosseum and use them as uh, entertainment of sorts. Lions would eat them to death. They would throw whatever the modern day gasoline is on them and burn them at the stake. And and, and the Roman citizens, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And so the Christians are under great stress. Levels of persecution that you and I will never know anything about. And, and, and so when Christians complain and when we worry and when we, when we gossip and when, when we come to church and, 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 and we, you know, we, we complain and we worry and we gossip, I don't understand it because the, the, the people that laid the foundation for our faith underwent much more than we do. It was far more to worry about than just bills and relational issues. They were running for their lives for proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And today we've become too comfortable. They were under, they were under stress. And so the author has to deal now because you're under stress. It's like, I, I can't do this, this relationship with this new Jesus guy. Maybe if I just don't follow him. And maybe if I just focus on myself and focus on being happy and focus on entertainment and focus on this stuff and focus on that stuff, maybe if I just don't take this Jesus God too serious, Nero and the Roman guard and the other Jewish leaders that don't believe in Jesus will miss me and I'll be able to live today for temporary things and not eternal things. And so, and so, and so, and so, there doing the big things, they've fallen into the temptation of religion. And so the author of Hebrews has to deal with how Jesus is superior to the angels and how he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Why? Because religion and law go together. If you do this, you're right with God. If you don't do this, God condemns you. You're going to hell. And so they're dealing with going back to honoring the law, the sacrificial system, when Jesus had already taken care of the sacrificial system. See, religion says do, 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 or don't, don't, don't. Jesus fulfills 
the sacrificial system when he dies on the cross and he says, I've already done, I've already done, I've already done. Now believe, 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 receive, receive, receive. And when you get to that point, you no longer feel as though you have to do anything to please God. You actually want to die at the stake for the cause of Jesus because it's the only thing that matters in this world. So the author of Hebrews says this. He says in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. And he's talking about all throughout the week. You got to be plugged in all throughout the week, not just on Sunday, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let's go back over that. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us together think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect meeting together. I learned a long time ago that if I'm asking myself Saturday, Saturday night if I'm going to church, I'm in a tough spot in my faith. Going to church shouldn't be in question ever. As long as the doors are open, I'm there. We're going to discuss that later in point number three, be together, but that's point number three. So I want to do three practical ways that you can experience, this is the title of my message, the power of together. Three practical ways that you can experience the power of together. We're going to end the series off strong. I am so excited for our new series starting next Sunday entitled, I Promise. We're going to study how the promise of God functions and operates in your life. It is going to be so good. But today we got to deal with some tough stuff. Hebrews 10.23 says this, let us hold tightly without wavering. Few people are going to believe in the possibilities that you believe in when God starts to move in your heart. Um, Few are going to believe in the dreams you believe in. Few are going to have the faith that you have. Um, Few are going to believe in the great things that you believe. And when you start to believe for and have a hope in things beyond human comprehension, your, your circle will become smaller. When you start to believe God for the impossible, your circle will inevitably become smaller. But because you're, because you're, even if your circle is becoming smaller, it doesn't mean that your connections have become weaker. Okay? It just means that the connections that you have have become more substantial and significant. You're, you're, you're seeing things by faith. Okay? And so number one is believe together. Believe together. And let's go to that verse 23 again. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Hold tightly. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. That's a very general statement there, promise. We're going to study that all month, next month. God can be trusted, though, to keep his promise. And so some of the Jewish Christians were believing in this eternal hope in Christ. Others weren't. As the heat was turned up, 
some started to run away from the faith that they had professed to have at the beginning. This will happen as life occurs. So you got Nero against you, who's pretty much the the incarnation of the devil himself. Then you have life happening, and then you have this happening. There's chances are the first thing that we're going to give up on is our faith and actually being active in our faith. And we have to understand, so some of the Christians, there's a remnant left, a small remnant. Just because your circle becomes smaller, it doesn't mean that your connections have become weaker. It means that they've become stronger. And so I think of people like Noah in Genesis. Prophesied for, was it 120 years? He told the world that it was going to rain and that there was going to be a flood. And he said, build this ark. Hold on, let me stop. Let me stop. Let me, let me address something. We, um, we preached a sermon a while back, so this is totally not the message. I'm going to get back to the message, but I got I to gotta get you guys in here. We preached a message a while back called, um, uh, was it Ears to Hear, Ears to See, or something? Or um, something. Ears to See was another one. But, and we were talking about how the word of God is seed and how the enemy wants to snatch that seed. And so fight for your attention span this morning, okay? Um, Because if that seed can't be planted, what God is trying to say cannot come to pass in your life. Fight for it this morning. I know it's dark in here. I know it's beautiful outside. You may even be tempted to think about other things right now, but zone in. I think God wants to say something about the power of together this morning. Are we ready to go? Are we ready to go? Good. All right, let's get back into into the scripture. I think of guys like Noah who told the world for 120 years that it was going to rain. It had never rained before and that God was going to send a flood. And so he invited the community in the world. He said, build this boat with me. It wasn't a boat. It was a box. The word ark in the Hebrew means box. Okay. And he said, after we build this box, we need to get on this box. That box represents the church. The ark was a foreshadowing of the church because Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, there's going to be judgment. And so whoever's not on this box is going to miss the chance at eternal life. All right, so you got to get on this box. The entire world did not believe Noah. And so it said that Noah in his day was a righteous man, and he condemned unrighteousness, not by condemning anybody or being judgmental, but by his faith, by his belief, by his unwavering hope, he affirmed and he believed the promise of God. So he and only his family got on the box. The whole world, small people, small number of people on the box. I think of guys like Joshua and Caleb. They get freed from Egyptian slavery. Um, They get on the edge of Kardash Barnea, which is the promised land. Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. We all go in together, 12 going together. They come back with fruit as big as their head. They see that the goodness of God, the promise of God is real. Everything that God has ever tried to tell you is real and it's right and he wants to perform it because he's a good God and he's a loving God. And so they come back with fruit. I think it was Joshua and Caleb who came back with the fruit. They get back to Moses and they tell Moses, the the 10 spies tell Moses this, we saw the land, but we can't conquer it. And the Bible says that the entire community wants to kill Joshua and Caleb, over two million people against two men. So God says this, I'm so tired of these people. They're going to die in the wilderness. I've come to find out that the wilderness is not a tough 
time in your life. The wilderness is you stopping short of everything that God has for you. That is a wilderness because you won't believe him. So they die in the wilderness. Guess who enters in? Joshua, Caleb, and a new generation. I think of people like Gideon, who has a a war where he's up against the Philistines, 120,000 that he's up against. His army is 30,000. God says, you got to do something with this 30,000. Because if you go in with them, you're going to die. So he does a a survey. The first 20,000 go out. So he's stuck with 10,000. He does another survey. There are only 300 left after that second survey. They go and they get the victory, the decisive victory, the most um, extravagant military victory in the history of man. 300 people versus 120,000. Just because your connections become fewer, it doesn't mean that they're weaker. I think of Jesus and the disciples. Twelve men, the reason why we're sitting in this room this morning. At one point, there were 5,000 people following them on an expedition. Jesus was walking. He said, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He turns around. All of them were gone except the 12 disciples. And he turns and he asks them, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, where else do we have to go? You are the answer. You are the Lord. He says, all right, now I can change the world. Now we can do something miraculous. It's the power of believing together. They had the audacity to believe in what God had promised together. You may not have enough people speaking faith into your life. This is why a lot of things may not make sense in your life. Because of the voices that you're giving access to your ear. Your ear is a spiritual floodgate. Your eyes are spiritual floodgates. If you're not getting faith, if you're not getting belief, if you're not getting Jesus, if you're not getting the impossible, you're not going to achieve things that are grounded in faith, things that are grounded in greatness, things that are grounded in the impossible. It's a, you got to believe together. And so it says here, Mark 6, 1 through 6, it says that, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So Jesus is in his hometown. He's doing his thing. This is very interesting to me. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. The son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right there among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe him, believe in him. Then Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except his own hometown, among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So if you go to Israel now, you have Nazareth, which is, I've never been, but I heard and I've seen some pictures. It's, then you have Capernaum. The next place that Jesus was going to go to after the statement was the city of Capernaum. If you go into Israel right now, When you enter Capernaum, it says, Capernaum, the hometown of Jesus. 
Nazareth says nothing about Jesus. Why is this so? Why are so many Christians living in defeat, in perpetual doubt? Because one town sees what is miraculous, they see it as trivial, and it has become familiar territory. Jesus, you're from here. I've been to church thousands of times, but the Jesus thing has become trivial, so therefore what they receive from him is minimal. When Jesus becomes trivial, what you receive from him is minimal. He enters one town, one group that believes together. They have great faith. He does great miracles. I try to tell people this all the time. If there's someone great in your life, you have to fight against the spirit of familiarity. Because at that point that you become familiar with that person, they're no longer able to pour into you what they're called to pour into you. God places certain people in your life as resources to get you to the place where you want and you need to be. Nazareth had become familiar with the greatest thing that ever walked the face of the earth. And so the author of Hebrews is saying we have to hold on to the the genuine faith that we have, the, the relationship with the one who has showed us everything that we've ever needed and wanted. We have to see through faith. What is faith? Faith is the confidence, Hebrews 11.1, 1, that we hope for will actually happen. And it gives us the assurance about things we cannot see. Faith is the, y'all know I got to loosen y'all up, so I got a little, got a little treat for you. I got my faith mask. Got my faith mask. Come on now, loosen up, because y'all looking down, Pastor's preaching hard. Got my faith mask. Chris is like, Pastor, don't do this. Oh, my God. We're trying to grow, not scare people away. Yeah, man. So I totally don't know how I'm going to pull this off, but we're going to go for it. Here we go. Y'all ready? Now, y'all got to help me preach this. So... Uh, yeah, I got my faith max on, <laughs> and I'm Batman. I know, right? I'm Batman, so, I, you know, I got, I got a joker to conquer. I got some addictions in my life. I got a conquer. I got a bane. I got some strong struggles I'm going to overcome, and I need a partner. I need an Alfred of sorts. Alfred has kind of been my stepdad. You know, my parents died uh, when the Joker was younger. Before he actually became the Joker, he killed my parents. Alfred raised me. He's my butler, and he's also my mechanic. So I'm like, Alfred, we're going to take this thing over. You're my partner. You're my friend. We do this church thing together. I said, Alfred, I need to get around. I I feel a calling to overcome big-time things to protect Gotham. And Alfred says, okay, Master Wayne, this is what you're going to get around in. This is, this is what I'm bringing to the table. This is what you're going to ride around in to conquer Bane and, and, and to defeat the Joker and Poison Ivy and Catwoman's confused. She doesn't know if she's in love with you or if she's your enemy. But this is what we're going to use, right? So you, you go ahead and do that. 
And so I'm looking at Alfred. I'm like, you're not, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. You, you don't see as far as I see. You don't see the possibilities I see. You don't understand what I understand. I, I need something. You have to bring something greater into the context of this relationship. Alfred, if we're going to do this together, if we're going to defend Gotham, if we're going to defeat all of our enemies, if we're going to get out of debt, if we're going to if we're going to be happy, if we're going to have joy, if we're going to have peace, if we're going to live in purpose, you need to bring something something greater to the table so Alfred reevaluates and he calls me back over and he says, "Okay, I get it. We we got to believe. We got to believe together. We got to we got to believe together." He brings this to the table. Say, yeah, now, Alfred, you're talking. You're, you're talking now, Alfred. I like this. This is faith. This is the impossible. I, li- I like. Nothing can stop the Batmobile. Come on, clap that up. I know it was simple. We're still growing, though. I'll get better at these as we grow. All right, this is ridiculous. Praise God. Hey, man, look, some of you are believing to start a business. You're believing that your influence is going to increase. You're believing that you're going to break and overcome these addictions. We have to believe together. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19 through 20, he says that wherever two agree in my name, that shall I do for the glory of the Father. It's the power of agreement. You're going to need someone to believe with you. Point number two today. Um, we're going to read this verse first. Hebrews 10, 24 says this. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Point number two, we have to work together. Work together. Everything in this church has a purpose. The seats that you sit on, uh, they have different parts to them. They have cushioned backs and cushioned cushion bottoms. This building has a purpose. Uh, to house and to facilitate educational purposes and growth um, filled with glass and brick and wood and all these different things. This building has a purpose. Our, our pipe and drape serves a purpose. Hopefully it's creating an atmosphere for you to encounter God and receive his word. I come to understand that when we ask, Lord, what is my purpose? What, why have you created me? It's not one thing that you've been created for. So as a man, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a pastor. And as a pastor, I have a purpose. Ephesians 4 says this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles. Apostles, they go out. They start new churches in in places that have never been really reached before. The prophets, the prophets foretell. They speak the word of God. The evangelists, they go from church. I'm just kind of teaching. They go from church to church to inspire and encourage the saints. The pastors, they, they stay put. They're shepherds. They have to stay put. And the teachers. And so he says that they are gifts. So I am a gift to you. If you consider me your pastor, God has put me in your life to push you forward. All right. And my responsibility, this is my job description, is to equip God's people to do his work, and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So I am accountable to heaven to create a context where you don't just, you know, get preached to, but you have 
the doctrine that you need, the classes that you need, the groups that you need in order to have everything you need in order to follow and serve God as effective as possible. And so my job is to point you to Jesus, to encourage, equip, and to release you. Now, the body of Christ has a purpose and a function as well. We are, in fact, a body. Romans 12, I'm kind of in a teaching flow today. Romans 12, verse 4 says this, Just as our body have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it's with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. The brother and the sister you sit next to, you belong to them in Christ. Verse 6 says this, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness, do to others, do to others and do it gladly. Every person in this room has with on the inside of them gifts and talents. And as a church, Jesus never intended for you to come to church and just consume, 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 but to contribute. And you're going to find the most fulfillment in your life through serving. Acts 20, 35 says this, for it is better to give than to receive. Jesus said it is actually more blessed. The Greek word there is makurios. It means happy. You are more happy when you give for the cause of Christ than when you receive, receive, receive. You, you, you are a body. So, um, Erica, you're an arm. I'm a hand. Guess what? I need you to extend so I can grab. You need me to grab once you extend. And Paul says in Corinthians that one cannot say because I am an ear and you're an eye. I can't, I can't do something. Well, the eye needs the ear to hear, and the ear needs the eye to see. So as a body, we come together, and when we come together, we look like the body of Christ in the cities that the church is called to. Last week, we talked about making a covenant with the city that we're in. So do we just come to church, and do we hang between the four walls of the church and not allow anyone to experience this? If this thing is great, we have to get out there in the world. Where the world is hurting and dying. They, they need us out there. So Paul is talking about the body of Christ and how every, everyone has been uniquely designed and gifted to change lives. I love what's going on here in our church. Shady Grove Middle School last month, we bought them uh, two Chromebooks with your giving. Now, this month, we're going to buy two more. It is our goal to try to hit 30 before the end of the year because they need 30 Chromebooks before the end of the year. Um, not just that, they want us, the church, to start a mentorship program at this school. I was sitting down with a gentleman earlier this week about our outreach vision long term, and he didn't know how extensive and how deep the vision was, I guess because we care enough as a church, right? And so the principal actually wants us to create the mentorship program. He wants us to determine when we're going to come in how we're going to mentor the kids, whether we're going to eat lunch with them or even go to the class with them. And so I was telling this gentleman at lunch the other day, I said, yeah, we don't just want to start in the school, but within the next three or four years, we want to be the organization that the county comes to for mentorship. 
Why does the world have to equip the world with everything when it's the church's call to equip the world with the things that they need? Can we get an amen? We're just listening up in here. I just want to know if we care. I just want to know if we care. And so that's what we're going to do. I love it as well. We've partnered with Family Services, Inc. Last month, we cleaned up the Montgomery Station where the mentally ill ages 18 to to 40 or 45, they go throughout the week. I mean, oh my goodness, it was a lot of work to do. But thank God, by his grace, we knocked it out and we transformed that place. We just sent a small group uh, earlier in February to serve them uh, Valentine's Day lunch. And now they're asking us in March, go ahead and sign up right now, 10 plus people, to go and volunteer at the landing. That's one of their, their their subcategories, the landing where they serve teenagers. Now, if this doesn't break your heart, I don't know what will. Where they serve teenagers that struggle with substance abuse. Oh, yes, and I heard it's a beast in Frederick. They come from all over the place to come to, uh, uh, um, to, come to Family Services, Inc. And so as a church, it's our responsibility to fill the gap. Anytime you ask any outreach organization around here, hey, what kind of partnerships have you established with anybody? Well, we have people for summer, we have people for Thanksgiving, and we have people for Christmas. Wow. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like religion to me. But when your heart beats like the heart of Christ, you say, God, I'm going to go every month to serve somewhere. I'm going to go change a life. I'm going to go reach a student. I'm going to go and reach an adult. Let's clap this up. Let's praise him. We got to work together. We got to work together. And we have to, the, the church has to start to look like Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The word masterpiece is pomeo in the Greek. It means poetry. When you got saved, he made you anew to look like him in the world. You have a purpose. It's a great purpose. Point number three, got to kind of speed up. Are we okay out there? Hebrews 10.25 says this. Let me just go back, blank that out. Let me tell you this. If any of you are struggling for freedom in a certain area, you got to learn how to serve your way out of your bondage. When Peter and Paul were locked in, not Peter and Paul, uh, Paul and Silas, when they were bound in prison, they served their way out. They praised God. The chains fell off. The prison doors fell. The Roman guard struggled because the Roman guard was about to kill himself when they were in prison at midnight. The chains fell off. And Paul and Silas say, hey, don't kill yourself. We're still here. We just want to share the good news of Jesus with you. They served a man who did not believe in Christ, and that's what really got them free. If you're struggling with a certain area of your life, you're going to have to serve out of that. God wants to set you free. He wants to bring you joy. 1025 says this. It says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Get your butt to church. 
get to group, especially now as that day, as the day of return is drawing near. Number three is be together. Be together. So there's studies out there for the millennials, whether it's, what, 19 to 34, 20 to 35, whatever the range is, by the Barna Group, B-A-R-N-A. They search all things church. They've been doing it for over 20 years. Just want to run some stats down. I'm going to close you out here in five minutes. And they say that recently, as of of, uh, last year, this article came out, only two in 10 Americans under 30 believe attending church is important or worthwhile. Two out of 10 millennials are under 30. We're having kids. 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out, 60%. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance, believing the church does more harm than good. Millennials are least likely age group of anyone to attend church by far. And they have, we have legitimate, re- I'm a millennial, so I'm, I'm like, I don't understand it, but I'm in. Anyway, millennials who are opting out of church cite three factors with equal weight in their decision. And this is where I can agree and I can legitimize people's claims because I was there too one time. 35% cite the church's irrelevance, hypocrisy, and moral failures of its leaders as reasons to check out of church altogether. It's legitimate. In addition, two out of 10 unchurched millennials say they feel God himself is missing in the church. And one out of 10 sense that legitimate doubt is prohibited starting at the front door. So even if I just try to go to church, I feel condemned and judged as soon as I see the first usher. And that's why we make such a, a, a strong effort to love everyone that comes through our doors it's not easy to get to church these days. And I would say that these claims are legitimate. Before I, was, uh, before I gave my life to Christ at 19, I felt the same way. I saw a lot of nonsense in the church of God. Um, but what I will say is we have to get to the point, millennials, and we have to start to minister to our friends the love of Jesus. We have to encourage them not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. God representing the baby. And... Uh, the bath water representing the church, we, we can't, we can't, because the church, while the bride of Christ, is made up of imperfect people. Right, right. But the church goes hand in hand with God. When Jesus saved our souls, he didn't call us to do this thing alone. And so we have two out of 10 millennials not going to church. What what does the future of America look like? We've seen this in history. Anytime a nation turns from God, inevitable fall is near. I will say within the next 50 years, we will not reign as top dog in this world simply because we've turned from God. And it takes the church to love and to show forth the love of God. I remember being in college. We had chemistry lab. There's a Tuesday night. Bible study that started at 7 p.m. And we had lab from 5.30 to 8 p.m. Me and my best friend would make every effort to get to Bible study. 
because that's where the presence of God was, the spirit of God, and the people of God were. And we made it a priority. Okay, you taught the lesson for a half an hour. We're going to do our lab from 6 to 645 because we're going to zoom on over to Bible study because we have to get there. And so for me, it set the trajectory of my life. Whenever you find a healthy church, a teaching church, a praising church, a church that's living for Christ Sunday through Sunday, you better hold on to it because it's the very place where God is establishing your roots for your future. And the enemy seeks to withdraw you from that. Psalm 133, the message says this last verse, and we're going home. How wonderful, how wonderful and beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down the head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard. We'll talk about that some other time. Flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. We'll preach this one other day, but I like this. Yet, that's where God's, God commands the blessing and ordains eternal life. So you ever said something like, man, I love going to church. I felt so happy when I left. That's the same word there, blessing. God commands the blessing of joy and peace and happiness on your heart when you're in the fellowship of the saints. Why limit that to a Sunday? You got to be together. So this is the practical application to it. Every time the doors of the church open, be there. Light groups, team nights, highlight the city when we serve. All that stuff, all all those opportunities when the church doors are open plays into your faith, your process, your growth, and your fulfillment. Jesus didn't just read the Torah. He didn't just uh, teach. He didn't just attend synagogue. He served. It's a full circle thing. God doesn't want you to miss that pie. And for my ladies, you got flourishing coming up, and I encourage you to go there. Let's clap that up for flourishing. Hey, I want to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to head on out of here. Let's bow our heads. Father, we love you, and we praise you this morning. Thank you, God, for allowing us to come here without persecution and without struggle to worship you and to receive your word. God, I pray that this this seed would uh, bear fruit in the long term, God. Lord, I thank you for every soul and every family here, and I ask that you would bless us on this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.